everyone. This is Mornings with Pastor Adam on the West Coast Bible Teacher Podcast, or, uh, you know, Pastor Adam's Daily Talk, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I uh, hope you all are doing well, and I hope and pray that all of you are doing good as we've hit midweek. By the end of today, you know, you should know whether or not your week is uh, turning out the way you would have liked it to <laughs> when you went to bed Sunday night, thinking about how you how you want the week to go. Indeed, our weeks do not often go the way we would like them to. Oftentimes, things don't go exactly how we wish they would go. And it's interesting. At the end of the week, we often look back at God and we say, Hey, Lord, what happened? (laughs) You know that I was wanting a good week. (laughs) You know that I wasn't feeling like dealing with any more stress, right? I mean, come on. What happened, Lord? Now, God knows. (laughs) He knows how you wanted your week to be. But sometimes he's waiting for you to simply go to him in prayer. Sometimes he's at least looking for you to acknowledge him. And for you to come before him and look to him in order to receive your heart's desires. It's interesting. Sometimes we simply don't get what we want because we're not asking God for what we want. But sometimes, even if you ask God for something, he may not give it to you. Because there's a possibility that you've asked with wrong motives. But even then, sometimes God simply says to us, no. Now, he has three answers, to be exact. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says no. Why? Well, sometimes we don't know why, at least not immediately. Sometimes we don't understand or see things for what they are until much later on, when the particular trial or saga or season of your life that you're dealing with has passed. Sometimes we simply got to trust that God's hand is upon the situation, even if it may not look that way. But I want to examine this particular concept regarding the providence of God. I want to examine it from a little bit of a different angle, not just that of the Christian walk and our life experiences as believers. One theologian defined providence, and I think this is good, as, quote, that continued exercise of the divine energy whereby the Creator preserves all His creatures, 
is operative in all that comes to pass in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. I want to explore the concept of God's providence from the angle of God being present even in places where, from all appearances, it seems like he's not present or working. We always perceive God working in the environments where his children are present. In Christian families, we see the Lord at work. In the church environment, we perceive that the Lord is present and is at work. But is God at work in the crack house? <laughs> is he present? And is he at work in the brothels? Or the strip clubs? Can you find God's providence at work even in those environments? The reason why I'm exploring the subject is because many of us have loved ones who aren't serving God. Many of us have loved ones who perhaps never made a choice to give their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a loved one who did identify as a Christian when they were young, when they were in their teenage years. But by the time they reached the age of, I don't know, 25, that was it. They no longer identified as a believer. And now they're no different from a non-believer as they're out there in the world. They're out partying and hanging out with generally not a good crowd. They might even be living a destructive lifestyle. Perhaps you're listening to this and you're a parent and your son or daughter has ended up going in this direction. Even though you've tried hard to raise them up in the Lord, you know, you've you held fast to that proverb, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22.6 But even though you did what that proverb says, your son or your daughter still went off the deep end, and you don't understand it. Or maybe it's a sibling of yours, or a cousin, or someone close to you that you grew up with in the church, and you see them now on social media. And they're posting and showing off their worldly lifestyle, going on pub crawls, hanging out at lounges, getting high, going to music festivals. But, you know, the type of music festivals that are especially depraved. You know, I'm not necessarily talking about Coachella, you know. <laughs> That's bad enough, probably. They're posting videos on Instagram of them going to see Dark bands perform live, like Suicide Boys. They went to the Aftershock Music Festival. <laughs> I saw pictures recently of the Aftershock Music Festival. Obviously, it's an annual, you know, music festival. They have it every year, and uh, they play the most, well, just just, just the darkest of, of music, you know, just, just satanic music. And, uh, and the most disturbing thing about it is just seeing how many young people are in the attendance. It's interesting how many young people nowadays are attracted to dark imagery. The reason, I think, is because they're looking to somehow express and almost release the dark energy and depression and so forth that's inside of them. You can only contain mental and emotional pain for so long. 
It has to eventually come out somewhere. And so a lot of these young people, they become attached to these heavy metal bands that are just filled with satanic undertones. And such has even made its way now into the hip-hop genre. Because, you know, now you got Suicide Boys. They're a hip-hop group. They're from New Orleans. But you have these music festivals. Usually there's a lot of substance abuse there, and, and even worse things are happening behind the scenes at these festivals. And so again, back to my original point. Where is the Lord at work in such depraved and godless environments? Is the Lord there? Is he working? At the Aftershock Festival, you know. (laughs) Are his angels there, performing his work, his mission? Now, let me get you to ponder something, especially if you indeed know someone in your life, again, a loved one, who is perhaps spending lots of their time in a depraved and godless environment, wherever that might be. You might be losing hope. You might be losing uh, faith. Because you're thinking, well, as long as they're in that godless environment, they're not going to change. They're not going to ever be rescued by the hand of God. Because God only spends time and is at work in the godly environment, right? That of the church and the Christian settings. So you are losing hope, because you're going on social media and you're seeing that non-believing loved one of yours spending time in the worst places, in the worst environments, and you're just losing hope for their salvation. But I'm here today to encourage you. Don't lose hope, because God is always at work, and God is present, and He is at work even in these environments that appear to be godless, that appear to be completely void of his presence and his work. The providence of God is ever-present even in the darkest, bleakest places on earth. And so don't stop praying for your non-believing loved one, because you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. God has his hand upon that person, even though it may not seem like it, because of the environment and crowd that your loved one is associating themselves with. It doesn't matter if your loved one is surrounded by ungodly people who you know aren't witnessing to them or being a good godly influence on them, because God is greater. And if he has to, God himself will come down and he'll visit that university campus or he'll visit that crack house. (laughs) (laughs) Or he'll visit that strip club. And if he's after something, he himself will take them and pull them out of that bad environment. Just like he did with the Apostle Paul. When Paul went by the name of Saul, he was so stubborn and hard-hearted in his plot against the Jews to where Jesus himself had to come down and pay him a personal visit as Saul was on the road to Damascus. Oh, what about Lot? Lot, you know, he was a prodigal. He was part of the Holy Line, the family of Abraham. He came from the seed of promise. But he chose to pitch his tent in Sodom 
and eventually found himself sitting in the gateway of the city. He was a full-fledged, by that point, member of Sodom, that depraved place, that godless place. But Lot, he had loved one who hadn't forgotten about him, that of Abraham. And Abraham was praying for Lot, and he pleaded with God, Lord, what if there's only just a small portion of people, just a small amount of people that are found in that particular city? Will, will you spare it then from your wrath? And the Lord said, For the sake of twenty people, I will not destroy it. Even if it's a small number, even if there are twenty righteous, God said to Abraham, Don't worry, I won't destroy the city. But there weren't even twenty righteous that were found in Sodom. But God knew that Abraham had his nephew Lot in mind. So God indeed sent angels to pull Lot and his family out of Sodom. So if God has to, he himself will come in and will reveal himself to someone who's in the darkest of environments, who's in the darkest of places. And up until that point, God has his hand upon the person and is protecting the person while... They are in that dark and depraved setting. Your non-believing loved one might be hanging out in the sleaziest and, quite frankly, the most dangerous part of Las Vegas or wherever, and yet because he has a plan, God, for your loved one, since God knows that he will indeed one day soon reveal himself supernaturally to, the loved, to your loved one, he's protecting him or her and he has his complete hedge upon them even as they're spending time in a completely destructive environment and setting. I'm digging into this theme right now to give you encouragement. For those of you who have loved ones who might not be seeking God at all right now, and so you think that God's just going to let them go off and kill themselves in whatever destructive lifestyle they're living in. Hey, if you still have that desire and conviction to pray for the person, keep on doing it. Because God has the final say. And God's providence is alive and active, even in the settings where it seems as if it wouldn't be. The book of Esther is known for being a book of the Bible where God is never mentioned. Esther has no reference to the law of Moses, the temple, the worship of Yahweh. Esther was a Jewish gal who lived in Persia. She was of the group of Hebrews who were still in Persia even after some of the exiled returned with Ezra uh, to uh, Judah. And this group of Jews were completely immersed in the Persian pagan society of the day. In fact, many of them took on Persian names. The names Mordecai and Esther were Persian names, though both Mordecai and Esther were Jewish. And the Persian king, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, he had to get a new wife, a new queen. We don't have time to get into all the little details as to why. But he put on this beauty contest, so he gathered many gals from the area, beautiful women, Esther, she was a beautiful gal. But you see, Esther, in going along with all of this, this would have her then 
while she would then be required to participate in a number of things. Both before her becoming queen and also after she became came queen, things that would technically be in violation of the Mosaic Law. She had to have sex with a man who wasn't her husband, because that was part of the audition, if you will, to marry the king. Later, Esther would be marrying this man who was a pagan, and that was obviously in violation of the Mosaic Law. And then later she would be eating unclean food in the king's palace. Another violation of God's law. In fact, many Bible students over the centuries have actually been quite disturbed by the behavior of Esther and Mordecai. As what is presented to us in this book. Because they certainly didn't appear to be individuals who had a heart to follow God's ordained law to the T. Esther and Mordecai. And yet God looks at the heart itself and its motivations. God, it seems, does give people slack to an extent for certain reasons. But ultimately, though, God and the awareness of God, though it does not seem present in Esther, the book still demonstrates a perfect picture of God's providence. Because Esther, when she was made queen, a little bit afterwards she discovered a plot against her own people, against the Jews. And Mordecai said to Esther, you have all this power and authority now. Perhaps you have been raised up. Perhaps you're in this position right now as queen for such a time as this. You see, God has his hand upon everything, all the little details, and he is at work, even in pagan settings, even in the settings where it appears he's not acknowledged by anyone. Even there, God is at work. We have a pastor at my church whom I work very close with, and he has a testimony that just just screams (laughs) of the providence of God. During his young adult years, he just traveled with bands who were on tour. And all he did was hang out with these musicians, do cocaine, get involved with women. His lifestyle really was the epitome of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. (laughs) And yet he looks back at his life, and he sees God's providence. Even in the darkest settings, where he was surrounded by nothing but degenerates, and bad people. Not a Christian in sight. Not a church in sight. Even then, at that time in his life, God was there with him. And God had his hand of protection upon him. He totaled his car twice. (laughs) Both times he crawled out, barely injured. One day he stole his brother's car drove out onto the street, and he was uh, smoking while he was driving, and so he was high and everything, and, and, and he stopped at the traffic light at an intersection. And then his brother's stolen car just died on him. That's it, you know, the car just died. And he was stuck there at this intersection. Couldn't drive, couldn't go, you know, couldn't do anything. He was stuck. And a cop car 
was crossing the other side of the intersection and the cop's light turned green, but it was one of those things where he had to wait for my pastor friend to, you know, the, the cop had to yield even though the light was green. You know how that works. <laughs> but obviously my friend didn't go because, you know, he was stuck. <laughs> he couldn't drive. And so my friend was waiting for the cop, you know, to, to you know, notice, wait a minute, why, is it, why isn't this guy going at all? You know, his, his light is green too. But the cop didn't do anything. The cop just, you know, the cop went ahead and drove on through and passed right by my friend. Didn't even turn to look. And then, a little bit later, another car came passing by, and it just so happened to be Pastor Ben's friends. And they looked over, hey, that's Ben. <laughs> and so they pulled over and helped him push the dead car away from the stoplight. <laughs> but again, Pastor Ben, he looks back, and he just sees, wow, you know, just, I could have gotten in huge trouble there. That cop passed me right by. Then later on, my, my friend shortly after just happened to drive right by me and, and, and got me out and everything. And, and God had his mercy upon me. God had his grace upon me. The, the providence of God. And God knew that one day he was going to raise up Pastor Ben. When Ben reached his 30s, which he's in right now, he would become a pastor. And God would use him to lead and counsel people who are struggling with the same exact addictions and things that Pastor Ben struggled with years before. And so the providence of God is real. Don't give up praying for that loved one of yours who's a prodigal or who never came to know the Lord. Because even in the pagan, godless environment that your non-believing friend is in and is spending most of their time in, even there, the Lord is at work. God's providence is everywhere, even in the darkest of places. And the Lord's providence is at work to bring this earth ultimately back to the state it was supposed to be in at the Garden of Eden. And so, let that be an encouragement to all of you today. So this has been Mornings with Pastor Adam, everyone. God bless you, and I will talk to all of you tomorrow morning.